Jesus Church College. Join hosts Richard Tamburo and Molly Inman as they chat with other faculty and guests about church, the Bible, theology, and learning the way of Jesus here in Portland. Today, we're talking about what to do when your rabbi goes away. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's Richard here with Brian. Howdy. And Shelby was going to join us, but she's had to go and see a man about a horse. So she's not here <laughs> and she's missing out because we've got a nice, nice bar of 70% cocoa, dark chocolate. She's missing out on. And Brian doesn't want any, so... It's all you, Richard. Yeah, so judge Brian, please. Yes. And talk to him about chocolate, because he needs converting. It's my wife's. My wife is the chocolate eater in our family. Yeah. So the fact that you're not is probably a good thing for her. Yes, See, in our more house, chocolate for her. In our house, the problem is, like, the Christmas chocolates get opened. Uh, and then, like, like, inside scoop, just to throw Anna under the bus. I'm the kind of person that's like, if I get Christmas chocolates, I want to try and make them last till Easter. Like, because it's so good. Like, I don't want to use them up. Whereas she's like, by halfway through Christmas Day, it's like, oh, great. Yeah, <laughs> gone. Like, that was great. I enjoyed that. So, yeah. There you go. So I have to hide them. So not a problem in your house. Not as much. But anyway, enough about my marriage and <laughs> problems at home. The topic for today, because end of John's Gospel, and we probably all know the storyline. So Jesus rises from the dead. And then the disciples have a moment of utter confusion. But then he meets with them, he talks to them, he sets the record straight. He helps them understand what's going on and he commissions them. And then he goes up into heaven. And we we can read that and be like, man, what a weird experience. Yes, amen. Like, And, and in a way, I guess today we want to like try and slip it into the shoes of the disciples, sort of imagine our way through what it was like. But... Your rabbi, if you're a disciple of a rabbi and your rabbi goes away, that wasn't like an unknown thing that they had no box for. So the way that Jesus went away would have traumatized them and confused them. But then when Jesus comes back and he's like, "Okay, I'm going away and it's still going to be abnormal, but less traumatic. They actually had a box for some of those expectations. So when Jesus says like, feed my sheep or go and make disciples or like so some of the things Jesus says yeah like the the rabbi disciple relationship like it created some expectations and so Jesus of course because he's always subversive Jesus's kingdom is slightly different like he's got his uniqueness to it but yeah and so we're going to try to excite you about being a disciple and yeah Jesus has gone away and so here we stand at the end of John's gospel. And it is that like, what now? You know, you get to the end of any of the gospels, especially if it's like you read Luke and then try to read Acts next. But there's that sense inside of us of like, I don't know. It's like watching Infinity War and then like looking down and be like, but I'm wearing a superhero costume. What am I supposed to do? Like, you know, you just read this amazing thing. <laughs> I've never but you're kind thought of that, but included. You don't? No. Oh man. Like I watch a Batman movie and then that's all I'm dreaming about for five nights. Like I love a good love a good superhero story. But yeah, so we're in, we're included. So what's something, Brian, because I've now talked for five minutes. Um when you think about that disciple rabbi relationship in the ancient Near East. Yeah. Like, what's something that's helped you think, oh, yeah, that's what disciple is? Uh, well, I actually, I read this book um, by Jeff Goins called The Art of Work, and it has nothing to do with the Bible. But it has everything to do with the ancient way of education before university. Mm. There was this way in which every master of a craft would take on an apprentice. And so your road into vocation was through basically becoming an apprentice to a master, which we still have that in some of the trades, but it's yeah. not as common. The university has taken the place of the old world. But in the old world, the relationship that the disciples had with Jesus was well understood because it was a frequent practice that your master wouldn't be with you forever. Yeah. And eventually you would graduate from apprentice to journeyman, where you were then you learned to do the the trade under a master. Then you were trusted to actually 
act out on the trade by yourself without supervision. And then you had to take your craft before the guild. And if the guild saw that you had mastered the craft, you would graduate then to master level. And then you would be able to take on an apprentice yourself. And so the way of Jesus was this graduated apprentice, journeyman, master. And so yeah. when he tells his disciples at the crescendo, Matthew 28, go make disciples, he's essentially saying, you've now graduated, your your rabbi, your master is leaving. Now you're the new masters. Yeah. And you go under my tutelage. The difference between Jesus and a human master is that he also told them, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you alone. Yeah. I'm sending you a new rabbi who won't ever leave, the Holy Spirit. Um, so the the thought of, of the idea of the ever-present Holy Spirit, even when Rabbi Jesus goes, and then actually it's it's an honor to have your master look at you and say, now here's the baton, you go make disciples. Yeah, I it's, love that. It's, it's an entrustment of saying the future of the church is in your hands. I trust the yeah. Spirit of God that I'm leaving in you to work to such a degree that you can do for others what I've done for you. Yeah, so and, um, you're right. We do have a box for that. I mean, you thought of trade schools. I mean, AJSE College, actually. It's a sort of hybrid of traditional university and apprenticeship. Mm. Uh, where my mind first went was, uh, yeah, the Jedi Master has a Padawan. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, like, we have cultural boxes for this. But it's it, by very definition of being a disciple, you're, the, you're in that apprentice space you're already a participant. So it's not like, oh, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Oh, what's your gift? What's your ministry? What's your role? Like, what do you do in the kingdom? No one gets to answer like, oh, yeah, I've not really been called yet or I've not really done anything yet. Um, and, I, and I think some of us might feel that way and then be surprised when we talk it through with someone and realize, oh, yeah, God has used me some, actually. So sometimes we just, we're not aware of it, but it's happening. But part of our identity is we are already shoulder to shoulder with the spirit in an apprenticeship. And yeah. Jesus has sort of passed, I almost think like a relay race, like that mm -hmm. baton's been passed. And so, yeah, it's a really sort of invitational thing, which is cool. You know, well, and the Old Testament priesthood had what seems like a similar progression is that a priest, I think David later would lower the age. You could start at 20. David lowered it from 25 to 20. Um, you could start at 20 as a priest and then you would sort of apprentice under a older priest yeah. who had graduated. Essentially, a priest would work from 20 to 50. And then at 50, they weren't supposed to do the work of a priest, but they could come and help. And I, from what I've heard, they would help the younger priests fully get into like the work of the priest. And then from 30 to 50, you would just go into the work of being a priest. You would do the sacrifices. You would meet with the people. You would, you would essentially you know, function that service. But when you turn 50, you turned over that and release the next generation. Yeah. I think where a lot of times we see the stop of that flow is that there's not masters bringing up the next generation and releasing, taking their hands off the reins yeah. and releasing the next generation, but not disappearing from them. And that was yeah. the, the thing, our master's going away but he wasn't really going away. He said, yeah. it's actually better for you that I yeah. go because I'm not omnipresent in my human state. Yeah. But when I send the Holy Spirit, he's going to teach you in all the things that I've taught you. He's going to remind you of all this truth. And so just this idea that our lives lived in accordance with the way of Jesus, our lives that say, learn to follow Jesus, follow Jesus, and then come to a point where you're actually making disciples and giving things away, teaching yeah. what you've learned. Yeah. And the other thing that really struck me about what you said was about that, like, you then go and stand before the guild and are commissioned. Because yeah. Jesus does this commissioning moment, go and mm -hmm. make disciples, yeah. teaching them to obey all that I've commanded and, you know, baptizing them. And it's just, it that actually brings some context because there was that dynamic of, like, graduating and being released. Um, like when Paul said, he's counted me faithful. Yeah, putting me into the ministry, and like, and there you've got Peter as well, who has monumentally blown it, and Jesus is like, "Hey, dude, do you love me?" 
which is like <laughs> such a hard question for Peter, who just denied him. Um, and so you've got like a Paul who persecuted and then encountered him. You've got a Peter who blew it and was reconciled. And then like shortly afterwards, it's like they graduate from a place of like utter weakness. And then that puts like a new twist on like when Paul in Corinthians says like we're these jars of clay we're like imperfect we're weak and yet god has called us and is using us and filling us and i don't know i I guess it's i guess in a way maybe we we point at those kind of verses and say yeah it's just not about you the holy spirit's in charge he does stuff and and that's a true like yes that, that is great freedom in that but also like these disciples that language of commissioning would have meant to them like oh, we're like, we're not the kids. We're being invited to like sit up front. Like they would have felt like Jesus was graduating them and probably would have felt like, I don't know, hoaxes, ill-equipped, not ready, (laughs) you know, all this stuff. So that's still true. Mm -hmm. But there's something excited about receiving that invitation. Yeah. Right. And that's, and then there's the dynamics of making it work in the church. Exactly. Yeah. Which is the thing you were starting to poke at a little bit as well. (laughs) Well, I think part of it too is that in Acts chapter one, there's still that somewhere between heaven and earth, Jesus is physically present, but they know he's about to leave and he's instructed them when I go, which will be soon, I'm going to prepare for liftoff. I'm going to leave you in charge. But here's how this needs to go. You need to wait for the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be enacted. That's your moment of like the guild saying, yeah, stamp you of can now be a master. Yeah. But in, don't go out before that. Yeah. And so there's this moment of the when Jesus passes the baton proverbially, he's giving his disciples the Holy Spirit. And then he says, then you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost, yeah. but not until then. Yeah. And so there is there is something to the validation of when Rabbi Jesus left, he then gave them a moment. He said, the moment will come when you'll know the baton has been passed, when you've yeah. received the Holy Spirit. And and of course, it yeah. was a cataclysmic moment. They knew they had received the Holy Spirit, and then you yeah. know, the rest is history. But to think, like you said, that Jesus would leave the the future of the church that had not been fully established in the hands of these men who had proven <laughs> that they would scatter when the shepherd was smitten, that they would deny, yeah. that they would lie, that they would hide, that they would... These would not be thought of the yeah. pile if you were doing a recruitment for a church leader, right? You wouldn't think they were ready to pass the guild's examination of oh, their yeah. craft. Yeah. It seemed like they were almost worse at the end than they had been at the beginning. But Jesus knew the change will be when spirit comes. Yeah. When spirit comes, they will be ready to be who they're supposed to be yeah. in the world. I, I love the sort of ongoing cycle of it as well. Like you see with Paul and Timothy, like Timothy's invited, he follows Paul. Sorry, did I say Peter? Oh. No, you said Paul. Okay. This <laughs> is like, just to let you know, we're recording right at the end of the week. So if we say anything that's just nonsense, just... <laughs> Give us a grace pass. Um, but yeah, so so Timothy's invited to like travel with him, follow him, learns with him, and then like is entrusted. And Paul's able to say things like, man, I've got no one else who's going to care for the church. Like this guy can really trust him and commission him. And um, But he's still like in the background as like that master who's still supporting, coaching, encouraging uh, Timothy. So, and and then says to him, find some people to entrust like where you just keep doing this jesusy thing this jesus shaped thing and sometimes people say i feel like it i don't know maybe maybe it's not maybe it's old enough that it's not overused maybe we could bring it back if it's had enough of an absence but like everyone should have a paul and a timothy in their life mm-hmm. yeah right i heard paul timothy and barnabas <laughs> you need to have all three yeah someone cool. someone you're bringing up someone you're walking beside someone that's yeah. ahead of you and so that, I I guess, like, let's walk through the cycle. Because I, I think of, like, Jesus with his disciples. So, like, the first thing he does is he goes up to these dudes and he says, follow me. Mm-hmm. And that was, I mean, they literally did, like, walk around with him. <laughs> but it was, there was, like, a 
that was a technical language for like become one of my followers, become one of my disciples, like one of my groupies, like buy the t-shirt, you know, you're going to like style your hair like me. You're going to like, yeah. e- like emulate and yeah. well, we're getting into the, like some of the effects of that following, I guess. But yeah, that's the, I mean, from what I under- from what I understand from the rabbinic style in the first century is and it may still be this way to some degree in Israel today that the rabbi chose the student the student didn't choose the yeah. rabbi and and that actually has some interesting implications that to be asked to follow a rabbi is such an honor yeah and to think the, the way of Jesus because you imagine the ancient rabbi picking the top yeshiva student, the top oh, yeah. Torah students. I mean, the ones who were, you know, head and above, uh, you know, of, of all the students in the class. And yet Jesus goes to... And there were to, people like that around. There, plenty. He so, passed by all the yeah. yeshivas and universities and Torah students and went to these men whom he spent the night before he chose his disciples in prayer, all yeah. night in prayer. The next morning, he goes and begins to call these Kind of an eclect, a pretty eclectic group of men. Um, seven of them were fishermen. One of yeah, them's such a, outsiders. Yeah, tax collector. One with an anger management issue. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, the sons of thunder and a tax collector and a religious zealot. You know, yeah. I mean, you have you bring Antifa and the Proud Boys together and <laughs> say, let's go and do kingdom work. And, yeah. um, and somehow it, over three and a half years. They became like the one whom they yeah. followed. Yeah. And that's it. Like, I, I think there's that phrase of like, they wanted to be covered in the dust that, yeah. that their rabbi's footsteps. So, like, if their rabbi was doing something, not only were they seeing it, but they were like affected by it. If he was saying something, they were like hanging on his words. And, and, uh, you see, we, I want to, I want to keep bringing it to like, okay, so what does follow look like into the, like into our present. And here's the tricky bit is we are apprentices to Jesus, but disciple making also means we should have like someone who's further down the road with Jesus, like mentoring, discipling, like doing that with us. And I think that's, you know, let's, I want to poke a little bit about what that, that relationship with a human person's, not so that like your favorite author or your favorite person to listen to on a podcast <laughs> yeah like you may learn you may be inspired you may pick up things from them but they they are not someone who's taken you under their wing and said i'm going to take responsibility for growing you i want you to be covered in the dust i throw up as i go about my life and my ministry and so there's something sort of more intimate yeah. going on here than because we in our Western church, we've often, I don't know, grown in the direction of uh, interacting around events rather than the side of shoulder to shoulder stuff that lots of disciple making is rooted in. And so there's something we we have to work to, well, reclaim. I think actually it's a little bit of a lost art in loads of loads of spaces, right? Yeah, yeah, I think part of disciple making in the 21st century in the American church is you have to have a hospitable spirit Mm. and you have to, you have to be the kind of Christian that decides that event based Christianity isn't the kind of Christianity that you're going to live into. So fortunate for me, when I think about my own discipleship, we didn't have a a discipleship program per se at the church I went to. Um, So I, Unintentionally, before I even knew the word discipleship, at 17, I get saved, water baptized, and then I just start showing up to the community that this church community that was a part of. And a lot of people in the community just sort of took me into their wing. So I was immediately given a big brother, big sister. I remember it was Aaron and Jamie Lacey. It's how I learned to pray. And then I was given like an adopted mom and dad, John and Sharon Gilbert. Um, I was at their house for tortilla soup every Friday night with Bible study and other kids. But there was just this time when I, I didn't realize what was happening, but there was... It was a whole family event. Like yeah. there was Uncle Jim over here and there was, you know, a mom and dad figure. Then there was older brothers and sisters and then siblings and this new family of Jesus. 
And in the process, I learned how to read the Bible. I learned how to pray. I learned how to share the gospel. I learned how to walk a better life than the life I had lived. But there was something that I had to do. I had to engage the relationship. And then other people had to engage me with hospitality. And it happened organically. And I think it there, there's probably the mistake to think it'll just happen accidentally. But then there's also, it doesn't have to be programmed. And somewhere we live in this tension yeah, of, good. does it have to be programmed or is it going to happen you know, accidentally? And I think you have to live your life on purpose, recognizing that when I see, like I've got a young guy, I've just it's like God just put him in my path. All of a sudden, I'm just noticing him. And, and then one Sunday he came up for prayer and I got to pray for him. Yeah. And then I just thought, God's just connected me with this guy. So I just leaned in. I said, Hey, let's, let's, let's connect for coffee. Yeah. And the, the disciple making relational, there's no program. We're not necessarily going through a book. We're just in this moment of saying, all right, let's do life together for a season. Yeah. And we're both going to benefit yeah. from this relationship. And I'm glad you paint that picture of family as well, because I think we have a cultural box for like, I've got a one-on-one life coach or something like that. And actually, it was a more of a group, th- the, the, the Jesus style was more of a group thing that we learn sideways as well as like looking to our rabbi out in front of us. But it is, and the other thing you said, like that, that intentionality, like they had to stop fishing to follow Jesus. Like there's some stuff mm-hmm. you have to put yes. down and make space for. Like being a disciple entails that. And so that's the interesting twofoldness of like, okay, if I'm a disciple, I'm supposed to be a follower. And then there's a like, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Like, well, yeah, go to church and read your Bible and pray. and But you can do all those things and not be a follower. Like the only way you'll know you're a follower is if you can actually articulate Jesus is leading this way in my life and i'm following by doing this like here's what obedience to a leading looks like you know that so there has to be this sort of back and forth this communication line which will involve like the church and the spirit and prayer and the word of god and like a tradition and all those things but yeah there has to be a tangible sense and that's like that's the primary foundation and filter and then a human disciple maker comes into the midst of that thing God's doing and God uses that person to help pull you forward, to teach you how to step forward, to, to hold you accountable. And so there's a, but there is a sense in which you're really being influenced by that person as well. And that's the, the weird twist on it is like, I mean, like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah. Like that's the ideal. What it really looks like is people I've discipled end up taking a little bit of Richard with them. And yeah, some of that's good and some of that's bad. <laughs> you know, like there's a, but, but there is a sort of messy humanness to this that actually God has said, that's how I'm going to do it. And I think sometimes the messiness turns us off and we're like, I'll just do the spiritual version. I don't need a human rabbi. I'll just follow Jesus. So I'll like, I'll go to church. But I don't really need anything other than to like worship Jesus and listen to the sermon and give and take communion. And then, you know, I can just go home and keep praying. And like, we're not actually designed. That's not when Jesus said, go make disciples. That's not what he meant. But so often that's like, oh, you're the most spiritual person if you do it that way. And I like, no, the most spiritual person is the one who's like, hey, help me, speak to me, guide me, or or what are you doing? Can I join in? Or like you say, the initiation of, hey, come do this with me, like being invited in and saying yes and committing and making space for it, right? But the individual version, like we're so beholden to that being like that we're at our best when we need not rely on anyone. Totally. but we're Christians. Totally foreign to the New Testament. (laughs) Christianity doesn't even exist. That isn't even an option. No one lived that way. No one lived without Jesus or in Jesus that way. The church was a space for a community and a communal expression. Um, I'm thinking about the early years. There wasn't one discipler for me. I needed... I remember when I first learned about the Holy Spirit was an unintentional learning. I was in a ministry school 
and they had a, a guest come down. He was just, I think he, at that time, was just laying block. He eventually became a pastor. Mm. And he just came down to our school, which at the time was located in Baja at this orphanage. And he just grabbed a, a friend of mine, Nick Finelli, and I, and he just started talking to us about what the New Testament had to say about the Holy Spirit. And we were like hearing for the first time about this relationship that God wanted to have with us through the Holy Spirit. And it, this was just some random guy. He came in and out of my life, but he made an indelible mark in that moment. Mm. And I mean, I can point to the several, you know, those foundational things you learn. I call it the first five years of being a Christian yeah. are where you lay sort of the baseline if if you're stepping into community. And along the way, when I think about where who I would credit for walking me into more maturity in Christ, I'd say I'd, I'd credit a, a community. Um, there were yep. men and women younger than me, older than me, that had various giftings, and I needed all of them. I needed mercy. I needed generosity. Mm -hmm. I needed a teacher. But I didn't just need one person. And my awareness of that became now I live an unpressured life to say at any moment when I step into someone's life, I'm not the only person they need. I'm just one of the people they yep. need. Yep. And so I encourage people to not just attach to one rabbi, mm -hmm. but to... There may be one or two people that for seasons need to walk with you, but but the beauty of the the whole body is that I need them all. I needed a mom and a dad and a grandma and a grandpa and a brother and a sister, older and younger, with various gifts. Um, and so I think the 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 misnomer sometimes is the pastor who teaches. That's the disciple maker. Yeah, and he he has a function which is an important function. Yeah. But if, designed function. if all I had was my the pastor, I would have flopped. Yeah. My my life would not have made it past the first year of being a Christian. Yeah. I needed those other human beings to come and lift me through and call me out on stuff and help me be more mature and you know, yeah. step into my life that way. And like you talk about indelible marks. I wonder if you'll say I wonder if you have a similar observation in your life, but I think about my life and God spoke to me. Like with my Bible open, he spoke to me in church, like he guided me, he did stuff. But the indelible marks, like the culture setting marks, were all people who invited me in to like, not just, hey, let's go for coffee, I want to tell you something. But like they opened their life, um, I, I did some stuff with them. Like those are the people who left the indelible marks. Yeah, and I would say the same thing when I start thinking about like pivotal moments, I have names. So it's human beings that God used as his hands yeah. and feet. I was baptized by a friend of mine who was just a year older than me in a river. It was just two of us, two guys named Brian and a guy named Austin. And it was like an Ethiopian eunuch moment. It was like, I need to be baptized. There's water. There's water. And go, go. But both of us got in there. And the most mature of us, uh, of the group, was this guy who was just about our age. And he he baptized us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I came out, felt like the Holy Spirit had just come upon me, had all this joy. And it was a legit baptism. Yeah. But it wasn't by a pastor. It wasn't in a church. That was one thing I've been talking to a, like a group of guys um, about disciple making. And the idea that sometimes in the modern church, when even on baptisms, specifically water baptisms, um, I was just imagining a day where the men and women at our church who are making disciples are in the tank baptizing the people that they had discipled. Yeah. Or whatever, whether it's like river party baptisms or whatever, we're going to the ocean or someone's hot tub or a swimming pool. But just imagining that it's actually Jesus' way. He said, you go make disciples and you baptize them. Yeah. And the, the thought of how many hands it takes, some water, some sow, you know, others mm -hmm. reap, um, we're all a part of this process of this movement that God is doing. Um, and, you know, again, like I, I think we all need to take responsibility for the discipleship of our church and our community and the people that God put in yeah. our sphere of influence, just as for somehow I was fortunate enough to, to be brought into a community of people who cared yeah. and they i was like on an assembly line and got touched by so many lives yeah, yeah and you need well there's multiplicity multiple ways oh that's a weird sounding sentence but you you need 
lots of people speaking into you. So then it's like, well, how could like a staff of eight pastors possibly, you know, some some church a certain size got that many staff or whatever, you know, or the three youth pastors possibly disciple 100 kids in a youth group? You know, it's like it, it just I mean, and it brings that sort of Ephesians like the job of some people is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry that is the disciple making is everybody's job. And that's that, like everyone having a Timothy mm-hmm. thing. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember, and, and there's something, there's something sort of infectious and it's almost like the innocence and naivety of a new Christian. Sometimes they just don't have boundaries yet, but like God, used to bring some of the most profound opportunities for me to share the gospel and like talk about faith with people before I had an ounce of maturity in me. Like it was those yeah. like early weeks and months of following Jesus. Probably true for most Christians. Their most, um, I guess you would call it evangelical fiery moments were mm-hmm. in those for, it's almost like when you find a new product and you know, uh, you you know, Richard oh, yeah. has, gotta has try this. Richard's got his chocolate like bar. Like this chocolate you know? that Brian yeah. might try. I was, I was <laughs> not fiery become, enough about it. <laughs> he's become an evangelist try the of chocolate the chocolate Brian. <laughs> <laughs> But it's somehow like, uh, you almost wish that you could return back to the simplicity of those days when, you just found Jesus had found you and you had a new rabbi and a new family, a new mm-hmm. community. But like you said, my probably my most effective years outside of the church were those first five years. Yeah. Part part of that is because I was coming out of relationships with people who didn't know and follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I had a circle of influence of people who didn't know and follow Jesus. The longer I was incubated in the church, the further and further I got yeah. away from people who didn't yeah. know and follow Jesus. And yeah. um what those yeah, like you said, those first years were like, you know, the honeymoon season. And it, in a way, like you remember those times and you you're like, oh man, I want, I want that circle again, which is a good thing. We're all supposed to do the work of an evangelist. And so we all got to be eyes up, sensitive to the spirit leading in those kind of opportunities. But there's a sense in which you may have been like your season of life, your maturity with Jesus will be like, yeah, I can't like just go join some sports team. So I've got some non-Christians, you know, and God may say that to you, <laughs> but it's not like the pressure on all of us that we have to do that. But then we need to remember part of that desire in us to see the gospel going forth. Like part of that is talking to our friends, neighbors, colleagues, people around us. But part of that is pouring into and mobilizing those people who are full of fire. Yeah. So that's like when we think yeah. about like how do we move evangelism in, in the church disciple making is is huge yeah i remember i i remember the distinct moment when i went from playing football to being in the equipment room and proverbially when i went from like those years of being out there with my friends who didn't know and follow Jesus and seeing god just save people and then there was a moment god just called me to be an equipper and I noticed I wasn't on the field. I was actually handing out the football cleats and the helmet and the shoulder pads, equipping the saints. Yeah. And yeah, I say this, and you, you know, you and I can probably both think about this, these examples in our life as fathers, but sometimes it's more enjoyable to watch someone else do it than to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. What used to bring me great pleasure doing myself is now a lot more fun to watch my kids do it. Watching my kids walk and drive and ride a bike and learn a new skill, that's become more joyful than even when I learned to do that and I was mm-hmm. experiencing success. So I think there is a place you go from being a disciple to being a disciple maker, and that that transition is an important one. Yeah. And it means that you may not do as much as you used to do because you're giving away the opportunity to do it to others, yeah. for, for others to do. And that's actually, in some ways, more rewarding. Yeah. And you see that in, like, you read the book of Acts and read through the letters of the New Testament. There's that variety in the disciples, Jesus, like the 12, that he actually said those words, go make disciples to. They didn't all go and do the same thing the same way. Yeah. They had different seasons, different gifts, different responsibilities, but they all made disciples like 
Paul was a disciple making and church planting machine, <laughs> like some of the disciples in Jerusalem, you know, did things differently. And and then you look at that second generation, like, uh, yeah, Timothy seems to be one of those like moving people to maturity guys who had to be reminded, like, still do the work of an evangelist, but your job is to move people to maturity. We got some other folk out here, maybe like Apollos is like itinerantly trying to share the gospel and I'm kind of making attaching well, I mean, labels yeah. to names. But, but there's that variety. Yeah, and Apollos is an interesting one because he was discipled by uh, Priscilla and Aquila, like a married couple, yeah. saw this gifted young orator, and they just said he doesn't understand fully all things about the Holy Spirit and the gospel. Yeah. So they, they, they came alongside of him, and they just made him better. Yeah. And they, re- they, they discipled him and released him back. And, I mean, there's something for all of us to do in this disciple-making work. Yeah. And I think the important... So that's a lot of the human dynamics, but then it folds into the, like, but we're disciples of Jesus dynamic. So the disciples with Jesus for three years, they were following him. They're covered in his dust. They're hearing his words, watching his actions, um, and they've had to stop doing stuff. So they're like, they're fully in. Like, this is, it's not just, oh yeah, like once a month I go have coffee with Jesus. This is like their biggest, they've allowed space in their life for their biggest influence to be Jesus. That's that kind of commitment to follow. But they're also becoming like him. So, and this is the funny thing, because the becoming like takes the transforming work of the spirit. So, <laughs> there's a lot of like you know right at the end of jesus's ministry the disciples are still being like complete i don't know what the word is without saying expletive <laughs> no, knuckleheads knuckleheads there you go um so they're still like but they've absorbed so much and then the spirit kind of kicks it into into gear so there's that becoming thing that's going on and that's the sort of that's the difference between disciple making and a life coach a life coach sits down and says like what are your goals okay let me work on some character things some habits some rhythms some decisions you need to make to achieve those goals with you whereas a disciple says rabbi what are your goals and i want to learn them and so i want to learn your mission because the, the whole point of a disciple was when the rabbi goes away his mission doesn't die but his adherents keep the mission going. So so you're there to sort of inhabit and internalize and make that mission your own. And, you know, and you're, yeah, you're, you're inhabiting it yourself. So that, that you know, if a life coach, yeah. coach was to sit down with you and say, what are your goals? What do you want to achieve? How do you want to do it? Your answers would just be like, well, did you talk to Jesus? Oh yeah, same answer basically like that's the goal of discipleship to be able to honestly say same answer Mm. and that's and that but there's a growth curve and transformation in that and so that's part of like being a disciple though is it's a commitment to that process yeah right yeah it's there's some interesting things you bring up um and one is there was i think there was this moment in the gospels where i remember that jesus disciples told him teach us to pray like john has taught his disciples to yeah. pray because it was known in that day that people in the in the in Israel at that time would know of what who was your rabbi by how you prayed because there was rabbis that had a particular way of praying and they said we want to sound like you rabbi yeah. so teach us your prayer so that we can go out and pray like you taught us so that people will recognize oh you're with Yeshua he's your rabbi and the goal of every Christian is to become like Jesus. And so our desire is like, like you said, not what do I want, but Rabbi, I want to be just like you. Mm-hmm. Teach me to pray like you pray. Teach me to be like you. Teach me to walk and talk and think and speak and heal and touch mm-hmm. and do life. And so that whole dust of the rabbi, like follow so close that the yeah. dust of your rabbi covers you, is the goal of every follower of Jesus. But at some point, like Paul, you have you you get to when you arrive at that place where Jesus entrusts you to go make disciples, yeah. you get to say to someone else, follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually you're going to learn the way of Jesus by following me. 
as and, I follow him. Yeah, and the prayer thing is actually a great example because it, like, it wasn't like, oh man, like Gamaliel's disciples do Gregorian chant, and like John's disciples are doing like slam poetry prayers. Like Jesus, we need we like what's our, are we going to rap? Like what's our going to be our thing? And it wasn't that, but it was just that. I, I think in prayer, like our heart, our values, our priorities, and our mission often get laid bare. And so I think that's part of the distinctiveness, actually, that like that teaches to pray really connects with that, like inhabiting the mission of your rabbi, which is, yeah. So it's just an interesting connection. So I want to I finish with a super practical question because uh, this is like the million dollar question. I, I don't think I can think of many people who like came to know Jesus got this whole discipleship thing committed and then we're like on a linear journey of just growth right we've all had moments where we're like yeah to be honest i'm not really up for it right now or i'm distracted right now so we're like back fishing or just i don't know flirting with some other mission you mm -hmm. know like we're so and then when we have those moments i guess here's here's the practical million dollar question what do we do to reconnect with, rediscover the kind of passion that actually gets us back in that place where we can honestly want to grow towards? Yeah, same answer as Jesus, right? Because we've all we've all had lots of seasons. Like that's just a that's a human. Yeah. We're not actually Jesus. Yeah. So yeah. So like, what what do you think? Like, what's what turns the tide back? to this kind of commitment? Man, there's probably multiple answers to this, but for me, because I'm a relational being, mm. when I'm in isolation, and like you said, getting distracted, becoming apathetic, getting plateaued in my walk and excitement for Jesus, during seasons of suffering, difficulty, you know, life, just mm. flows and cycles of seasons, if I stay with the people of God, I stay with my brothers and sisters. I stay in community. I stay around people who challenge me, provoking me to love and good works. And I mean, like this morning, I've I have a committed two days a week, both th Wednesday morning and Thursday morning, to a group of men, and we're together. And I'm, you know, I'm the men's pastor, so it's a, a good excuse for me to do these kinds of things. But I I benefit from this regular space that I, I hold. Mm. And then for instance, this evening I'm with my community, my community group, having those kinds of human beings in my life, keep me from the drift because in that group, there are people that I feel responsible for. And if you don't feel responsible for anyone, it's really easy to flirt with other missions to use Richard's language. Um, but when you feel responsible for people that does, it has some impetus on your soul, but then also knowing that there are people who care about my well-being. Um, so I would say my probably my go-to standard is stay with people. Don't drift into isolation because yeah. the drift into isolation is the death knell. Well, and that's part of disciple making again, isn't it? Like there's a, a church culture where if you're drifting, you actually want to isolate because you're afraid of being shamed and judged. Right. Like, I'll never forget. It's one of these things that I, I I haven't learned fully the how, but it locked in a goal for me. There was this guy that I was discipling. And uh, just in the neighborhood, just like I had a workshop in the garden and um, this guy came to know Jesus and would just bring him to church and, you know, just meet with him around during the week and like hey it's lunchtime come have lunch with us we're gonna like we're gonna read the bible while we have lunch sure um and then he just went off the radar and then saw him like six months later and he was like richard to be honest mate i i didn't want to come to church i just felt everyone was so much better than me hmm. <laughs> and i was like okay i want to fight that that's not true on my watch like yeah. i don't want that to be true but if the disciple making thing is happening like well, if that engine's firing on all cylinders, yeah. like he would have come into a church where a ton of people would have tapped him on the shoulder and invited him in as he was. He would have been he would have been seen, you know. 
not not just like accepted for who he was and the rough edges don't matter or guy had a lot of rough edges <laughs> but yeah where, when that's not happening then i can completely get why the context gets dysfunctional and yeah the the disciple making circles that i'm in that are thriving are disciple making circles where there's honesty transparency and vulnerability and yeah. so there's no there's no hierarchy in the circle because it's not accepted to be pretentious and so if a guy began to drift at least as far as like you said under my watch our group is such that the way we operate is to be honest about how we're doing in the good and the not so good so at this point we've created a space that's honest and that that is where i think people function in family well because they know this is a safe place to come for repentance and confession because that's just how we operate. We we're, we're all open with our lives together. Yeah, yeah. The um, something I found helpful in the past is, and there's a there's a kind of cultural thing where we can be very goal and project oriented in the West, and then I have a wiring that means I can sort of be supercharged to that. So I can sort of care about my relationship with Jesus, the disciple making, the following. But before you know it. I'm kind of chasing some goals that came out of it instead of, so I'm not actually following Jesus, I'm following a goal. And that then, uh, well, the like the good juices that keep you going, <laughs> you know, they can run pretty dry pretty quick if that's all that's going on. So I found, I mean, it, it, this is a little bit like out of context, but like in Revelation, that sort of return to your first love, mm. you know, like you've forsaken the, the first love you had, like repent return to it and do the things you did at first and that's like a super helpful like i need to remind myself of like the love relationship like jesus i wasn't enamored by a set of goals i was enamored by the love of god the goodness of god the richness of that relationship and yeah so just I guess not just remembering, but trying to like lay down markers to like anchor myself in those things, make sure I, I have rhythms that keep those things fresh to me. If I know I've got a propensity to, I don't know, I, I'm naturally wired not to keep my eye on, like you say you're highly relational, I'm highly project. So for me, it's like a different set of dangers. I have to work to keep an eye on that thing. And yeah. then return to the things you did at first is like an invitation to be like, go back a few squares and like remember the on-ramps that you had with Jesus. It's like, oh, I loved worshiping him. Oh, and now here I am frustrated because I'm not meeting a goal and I just like, I'm not, I couldn't tell you like, hey, what is God calling you to be obedient? Where's that lead follow dynamic in your life? I don't even know what he's leading me. Like, huh, I used to, love when jesus would tell me stuff like i haven't been praying enough or just but i think that, and then like remembering those on ramps so that there is something about looking yeah. back that i think is super super useful that's really practical as well yeah yeah i i remember i'd read something that and it was it was specifically tailored to my personality type i think it was an enneagram thing but it was oh, a yeah. spiritual formation tool and the spiritual formation tool with it was saying as you operate in the world me brian fowler they had assigned some upstream and downstream practices that keep me anchored. Mm. For me, upstream practices are things that are against my nature but are good for me. Right. Silence and solitude. That someone like maybe yourself, you might. Oh, yeah. Silence and solitude is a downstream practice. Yeah, it, I have it's, to fight to just not be in solitude all the time. <laughs> for me, that's a struggle. You know, I like noise and activity and being out and, you know. Yep. Um, but a but a downstream practice is something like celebration and community. Mm -hmm. It's life giving and it's helpful. And the call was to do both, to do both upstream and downstream yeah. practices in my discipleship to Jesus. So I can tell when I've spent too much time in community and I haven't, because I my soul needs mm -hmm. silence and solitude. Yeah. It's not something I would prescribe myself, but the Lord has made me in such a way that when I'm quiet and and silent before him, I actually receive goodness yeah. and it anchors me. And so I think for all of us, we probably each have our set of upstream mm -hmm. and downstream practices where when I do this, this is a natural life-giving 
spiritual discipline for lack of a better term. Yeah. And it's good for me. There's other things though that I will resist, but when I do them, I, I see life is there for me. Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing just to finish on this on like community as well. Right. Like I think about when we get our families together, like you are helping me do the celebrate, relate, build relationship thing better because actually I'm doing it a little bit leaning on the fact that you have this energy and passion to give and and then I can help you and uh, that's that yeah that, like community is supposed to fuel this mm -hmm. so those which ones are the hard ones upstream yeah like others is the superpower to then actually sometimes help those upstream things be things you can learn as well right. and oh well, look we're back to disciple making yeah together. I have to sit around the contemplative people to learn how to be quiet <laughs> <laughs> and not talk and just my poor wife she's an introvert so every morning she's having devotions I come in and talk and disrupt and she's like this is my time with yep. Jesus and coffee so <laughs> <Go away. laughs> yeah you take time to be quiet yourself yeah well there you go it's enough for today I hope that gives you some stuff to think about and um, just know, like, around the church, if this stirs you up, if you walk up to someone, I know, you know, we said, like, the master's supposed to initiate, uh, but if you go up to someone and say, I want to grow closer to Jesus, there is nobody that is going to turn you down. And so, yeah, that's like an easy on-ramp to respond to this. Um, yeah, so keep growing closer to Jesus. God bless. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the House of Learning podcast. This podcast is produced by A Jesus Church College, based at Westside A Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation. We combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college. To find out more, go to ajccollege.org or follow us on Instagram to find out if this is where God could be calling you to explore your calling. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with someone. And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at ajccollege.org. If you can, send us a 20-second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.